0: Joined today by Chris Levitt from Bravo TV's breakthrough reality show Million Dollar Listing Miami, Chris is an extremely successful businessman in his own right, with honors such as being the top real estate broker at Douglas Elliman, and he holds the national records for property brokerage dollar amounts in certain geographic regions. In 2014, Chris Levitt made four of the top 10 condo sales, pulling in over 120 million dollars in sales last year. Thus. Chris outsold every broker in Florida for condos. Now, let's welcome Chris to the show as we join our host, Tim Harris.
1: Hey, Chris. I really appreciate your time today. I've been looking forward to this interview. Um, I love your success in Miami. I love, actually, and I it's one of those guilty pleasure things. We watch all those Bravo shows, you know, like the one you're on. And Um, I have to tell you, the thing that Julie and I picked up on pretty much instantaneously as we watched you in the first season was how much experience you have. So your brief introduction really doesn't touch on the fact you've obviously sold new construction. You've obviously been in this business. You obviously have a great skill set. How long have you actually been selling real estate as a resale agent
2: and as a new construction agent? Sure. So um, I started in New York City. I don't want to date myself because it's terrible, but I will. Um, In 1996, (laughs) I was in college in Los Angeles, and I am from Boston originally. Moved to L.A. to do um, colleges, wanted to go to a fun, sunny place, and then uh, decided I wanted to move to New York to really get into the high-stakes world of New York City real estate. And I started at 21, and essentially, you know, a lot of people start with system being an assistant or being um, mentoring underneath somebody, but I just went right into it. And I was determined, and I did not want to work for anyone. I was That was not what I wanted to do. So I interviewed with about four different companies, Douglas Elliman, Corcoran, um, Halstead, and then one tiny little company that really is not a good company at all, who was handling my father's rental apartments that he had in Manhattan, and they didn't want me, but everyone else did. It was really kind of funny because all the big firms wanted me, the little one, that I was too young and didn't have enough experience, so I started in in resales um, and did resales all the way through September two thousand and one. Hmm. Interesting time to change courses. So I, uh, at that point, you know, my business was so affected by September eleventh, it was really, really bad. I mean, I had closings that were supposed to close and didn't, um, to probably to the tune of like four hundred to five hundred thousand commissions um, that I was counting on so those did not happen and I had to switch gears um, in order to sort of survive I guess is what they say and I went into new development and I did a new development um, you know and they hired me immediately because I've had I had so much experience and then it just sort of took off from there and I, I did about five buildings for one developer while also maintaining my my resale business and a lot of agents um, are in resale and they don't excuse me, they're in um, new development, they don't do resale and they've never done it. So I had that nice uh, hybrid where I did both. And then as I was, you know, sort of in September 2001, I'm sorry, 2001, as I sort of started to get back on my feet, um, you know, my resale business picked up and then I was able to really juggle them both really nicely. So that's well, sort Miami. of how it is and it's been that way ever since. Oh, and then I moved Miami. to Miami in 2009.
1: Okay, got it. Yeah, so I was going to say, you. so in 2009, you were basically moving to Miami right at kind of the middle of the real estate crash. And I remember the headlines across the world were basically that, you know, Miami real estate never will come back, way oversupply of condos, and then almost as fast as things seemed to slow down, they sped back up again. So you kind of positioned yourself in Miami at a time which, that seemed on the surface very risky, but then, Wow. Is your timing ever perfect and your background selling new construction was perfect too because now a great number of the highest in sales in miami are either new or newish condos so nice job on
2: your timing yes. on that move my friend yeah thank you um, you know i i also lead with you know go ahead i'm sorry
1: no no go ahead i was please. go ahead
2: please. oh i was just saying you know i i i always sort of you know lead with where the universe takes me i, I wasn't really planning on moving to florida and then um Someone who I know who owned the W South Beach said, why don't you come down and sell this project? It's so amazing. And I was like, hmm, you know, New York's, the grind is getting to me. The weather's horrible. Why not? Why not give it a try? I can always go back to New York. So um, that's where it all started. Well, you must,
1: w- have a fair, you must have a fair number of people that basically have homes in both places, right? I mean, there has to be a lot of, you know.
2: Oh, it is a total crossover. You know, I'm in New York every week um, servicing my clients there. So it it is an absolute crossover 100%.
1: Well, and Miami also has some of the coolest new developments, the Porsche building and all the others that are getting uh, obviously coming out of the ground. Well, I, have they started selling that right. building
0: yet?
2: Oh yeah, that's um almost done. I mean, Desert,
1: are people aren't moving in yet. So Yeah, but people aren't no. moving in
2: yet. That was my question. Yeah, that's No, no, they're, they're doing the, the they're they're it's being built as we speak. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, International clients, Uh, let the listeners know how you cater to international folks, because from what I understand, a lot of the buyers in in that building in particular, and other buildings, they're Brazilians, they're just Russians, they're Chinese folks, they're obviously Mm -hmm. Americans. It's an international audience in that particular higher end market. How do you go about attracting those folks to you? Or Chris, does it really just
2: come down to having the listings? Well, no. It comes down to two things. Having the listings, number one. Number two, really understanding culture and especially the cultures that are buying in Miami. I, I took a culture class um, many years ago about different cultures and it was extremely beneficial to me because there are different ways to deal with different cultures and it's really important to know that. And if you respect those customs and cultures with these people, it doesn't matter if you speak their language. They get it and they, they, they'll they work with you. Um, also, you know, having a huge social media base, being on TV, obviously, helps too. <laughs> but for those that aren't and, and don't have that, that exposure, um, just really networking and getting to know everyone, You know, just letting the world know that you're in real estate and then those kind of things will come to you. But, but when they do come to you, be prepared to know how to deal with these international clients because they're not easy. They all have different innuendos that you wouldn't know about. And uh, it's important to, to really know who you're dealing with.
1: Do you mind sharing with the listeners a story that comes out? Because it sounds to me like you're one of those folks that you could sit and listen to real estate stories until like the cows come home. Because you probably have so many great ones. Is there one in particular you'd like to share with the listeners?
2: Yes, Um, I have a particular, you know, couple Russian clients, and um, you know, they come across cold sometimes and very um, gruff.
1: Hey, hey, Chris. Chris, Chris, yes. your your cell your cell phone kind of gets uh, janky here and there. So, you, so if you could be stationary or or, or something, that would be great. It it, oh. it just here and there, just going in and out. Just so you know.
2: Oh, did, it, oh, I'm sorry. Is it working now?
1: Yeah, it's it's fine. We can hear you. Just all of a sudden, it starts dropping. So, if you're maybe pacing, okay. which I do all day, maybe that's the reason. And I'm not what in what the worth.
2: car. I'm in I'm in Los oh. Angeles. I'm actually just landed and I'm driving to my hotel. I'm so sorry. Oh, so anyway, okay. um, b- basically, um. The, the you know Russian people are wonderful people and but they don't always open up to you and they're not as warm as say a Brazilian or an Argentinian. So a lot of brokers just say oh they're so mean I don't want to talk to them or deal with them. But you know what they're real everyone everyone I think in the world is soft and nice once you get to know them. So you need to really um, you know disengage people from their facades and and that's what I had to learn to do because I had a Russian client that was not very nice to me. Um, but the minute that she, she, sort of ga- I gained her trust, it was smooth sailing. So you have to really, again, know who you're dealing with and know these cultures, because if you don't, you you could miss out on opportunity. Where do the I, off.
1: what are some of the biggest like nuances, the cultural nuances that you kind of touched on a second ago that you that would surprise folks, like when dealing with. Uh, Middle Eastern folks and dealing with you know Brazilians with dealing with you know all the different cultures that you deal with, with all these international buyers What would be some of the like things that you think would most that would surprise most of our listeners things that they don't even They wouldn't even ever guess would be considered rude and say for example another culture.
2: Yes, absolutely um, and was giving you an example of um Just because someone's sort of rude and gruff at the beginning does not mean that they're going to soften up and and be a great client for you So just know that every culture has their facade and every person has their facade So you need to really just disengage I think if an agent can really learn how to disengage somebody um, and and knock down that facade really quickly They're they're very talented agent, and they're gonna do well
1: well one of the things Chris and, and I would be interested in your opinion on this sometimes culturally people just, it's not, even if it's the greatest deal ever and the numbers totally make sense, culturally they have to negotiate. It's almost like uh, they can't help themselves. It's impossible for them not to negotiate, even again if they're getting a a terrific deal. And and unless they're experienced agents, that just drives them batty because they don't know how to uh, deal with that. And I know you must deal with that on a regular basis. So how do you handle that? When you have somebody that really (laughs) by all measures is being unreasonable, and that's just their culture. In other words, they just feel like they have to be getting it over on everyone else in the transaction. How do you work with that type of client?
2: Well, it's every client, and let me tell you, it's not just the international clients. It's everyone. Everyone wants a deal, and everyone will try to get one. Um, so you just need to, um, you know, hone your negotiating skills and and get them the best deal and make and also make it seem like they're getting something. Even if it's a small token, whether it's a developer fee or a credit at closing, make it seem like you really worked your butt off to get that from the developer or from the seller. Um, you know, sell sell yourself and sell your, your skills and, and what you did for them. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I got you $10,000. You know, make that $10,000 seem like it's $150,000, 200000 whatever it is. And sometimes that alone will satisfy. You know, um, I got my client a credit of 25000 He was ready to walk away and he was... So happy with that because it was the way that I sold it to him.
1: When you uh, focus decided to focus on Miami, and, and obviously you've done an inc- just absolutely incredible job. Did you decide I to guess. start out saying I'm going to be the condo guy, or did you just migrate that
2: way? No, I mean when I was selling W South Beach, you know, it was a really great opportunity to have that listing, you know, have that building as my listing, and uh, you know, I just became, you know. En- engrossed in the condo market, and that really is the huge part of, of Miami. I mean, the housing market is is great, but I um, I just love condos. I love living in them. I love also condos with tons of service, and especially hotel condos. So it was really um, it was very easy for me to 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 get into that and to sort of bring that to a higher level. And, what and,
1: are the types? What are the types of like the buildings, right? In Miami, and this is happening in really virtually every market that's really focused on condoization, right? I see it in downtown Austin. I see it in, I mean, Manhattan's crazy right now with new development, as I'm sure you know. Starting to really, again, take off in LA, though you're not gonna see a lot of towers in LA because you know, the, the building codes. But what is it, like people's preferences as far as what they're looking for in a building changes quickly. So if you had developers right now listening in, what would how, what would be the, uh, like, five years in the future, what is it that people are looking for? What is it that the leading-edge buyers are searching for in a perfect condo
2: building? They want service to the highest degree. Uh, that is so important to them, you know, one-on-one personalized service, really sophisticated systems within their apartment for uh, blinds, ray, um, stereo, um, contact to the outside world. I mean, they really want high tech and high service. Forget the media room, forget the movie screening room, forget the party room. Um, You know, the amenities are really about spas, gyms, um, almost creating an oasis when you come home that you don't have to leave. So you can get it all done in one place.
1: You mentioned the service thing, so right, that's like something that also I'm sure you've adopted to your own, for your own real estate practice, knowing that these folks are looking for a very, very high level of service in the buildings that they buy in. How have you, in your own business practice, what do you, how have you catered to that expectation
2: of the highest level of service?
1: What do you do this sure. purpose, so, say, be- for example?
2: Well, what I do that's different is I, I, I'm i friends with all the concierges in all the fine hotels. I'm friends with all the managers of all the best boutiques and design district in Bell Harbor. You know, I make it my business to know what's going on everywhere in Miami. So when my client says to me, Chris, where should I go to dinner tonight? Well, oh, I can tell you you can go to Casa Tua, but am I going to be able to – it's one thing to say go to Casa Tua. It's great, but it's another thing to say – oh, by the way, um, what time do you want to go? Let me make a call. You know, you, you have to become the concierge as well because these people don't know Miami. They're coming in here. They're usually visitors, and they're coming here to spend money, and they want service, and they want to get in everywhere. So you better know everyone in town. So you can, you the- can really wow your clients and say, oh, my God, Chris is amazing. He, he just negotiated this great deal. He got me to ma- a restaurant reservation where no one else could. You know, that kind of, that kind of stuff is... is very important.
1: Well, I, you said a couple of things that are very interesting, and I hope the listeners are picking up on the little tiny things. Seemingly little tiny things make the biggest difference, because at the end of the day, most uh, high-end consumers who have purchased many, 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 many homes before, uh, they kind of see the service, the generalized service of a real estate agent, as a bit of a commodity. And so, what you've done mm-hmm. is to differentiate yourself. It seems like you've really recognized that. Uh, and just accept it and even embrace that really to, to win these guys and continue to win them, you have to go so far beyond what their expectation is that you almost have to be like five steps ahead of what they could possibly ever imagine wanting. So when you start working with a new client, how do you go about pre-qualifying them for expectations, for their, I mean, financing aside, for motivation, for time frame, for what types of questions do you ask to really get into their heads and know whether or not somebody you want to
2: work with? Right, exactly. Um, what else have you seen? Oh, I just started. You know, uh, okay, great. But have you looked online? Of course, they just started because they're only you know they started working with me. But have you looked online? Have you seen what's out there? Um, you know, there's so many people that come to Miami without education and thinking they're going to get a three bedroom for you know two million dollars on the ocean with incredible views, and that just doesn't exist. So, you know, before before you meet that client, you have to have a conversation with them, whether it's even, you know, a pre-meeting for lunch or for coffee, just to get a really good sense of what they want. So then you can go back to the drawing table and, and sort of curate exactly what they're thinking. Because just to just to say, oh, hi, you know, I'm Chris. Uh, I want to see some apartments. Um, okay, well, that's great. You have to narrow it down. There's so many different areas. What do you like to do? Do you like to go to the beach? Or are you more of a urban person where you like to sort of, you know, be around the city and then you want to go to the ballet, you know, that would be perfect for them downtown or Brickell. So what what are your likes, your dislikes? What's your lifestyle like? Also, what's great for me with my New York clients is that, you know, I know where they live in New York. I know what exposures they like. I know what sort of features they like in their building. So I can match that down in Miami.
1: But that's really very getting interesting. to know
2: those people before you go out with them. And so so it's time.
1: way more – it's almost like you're, you're building like a whole profile on them. It's not just a typical pre-qualification. You're getting into the individual preferences of, um, of mm-hmm. essentially what their lifestyles like. And then you're trying to match not just the building but the area of Miami that would be, best fit that particular uh, – those lifestyle preferences. So that's kind of taking the whole – a pre-qualification thing to a completely different level. Typically, how long does it take, uh, how many, uh, the questioning, the
2: getting to know you process, how long does that take? It could take five minutes, it could take 20 minutes. I mean, it's depending on how much they open up. Um, but, you know, some people just could just show me apartments and, you know, then sometimes maybe you, and then you can do that. And then if you're smart and you know, and you're watching their body language and listening to them, you'll know if that's right. For, you know, the first couple of them, you'll know if they're right or not. So you, first couple of apartments or houses so I just think it's it's really being perceptive and listening you know we're almost like psychiatrists in a way or therapists because the more sensitive you are to people's body language and the way that the things that they're saying to you you really need to pay attention so many brokers have blinders on they don't listen they don't pay attention they're not looking for clues and they're not looking for these these things and it's really important, and I think I, you know, I think it's an innate ability that you just have or you don't. I'm sure, well, it you said innate ability, training,
1: right. Well, experience, Chris. I mean, that's kind of like you know, yeah. you've done this for so long, you've had so many of these conversations that you probably are off, yeah. operating. I would guess mostly off intuition at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. So when you um, say a feeling, sure. the feeling you the feeling you get, it's really not just the it's the feeling of how they react to the question. It's watching their body language, their pluses and their minuses. And you probably, I bet you could tell within like a minute of meeting someone whether or not they're for real or not. I mean, how how, oh how god, often do you? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh. I bet.
2: For sure. <laughs> how often do you
1: say no to somebody, Chris? Chris, how often do you oh, say no?
2: I mean, we, often. I mean, I I I've fired clients before who were just physically and mentally draining i mean i've had to just say <laughs> thank you goodbye you know from the show um i got a lot of clients that wanted to, to list with me and i had to i had to say no because i wasn't really sure what their real motivation was a lot of people think they are going to be on tv or they think that i have this magical power because you're on tv that oh well it'll sell because you know i, I can ask two million more because he's on TV and he'll be able to sell it (laughs) you know it's like these really crazy notions that people have about their property so um, I only deal with people that are realistic and um, and and people who who really know what they want to do
1: what's your pricing strategy Chris I mean you know
2: it is what it is right a lot
1: of people's egos are going to be wanting to dictate what the price is going to be and when you're dealing with folks that have uh, substantial means They're, generally speaking, going to get their way. So at what point won't you take a listing? Because really, Chris, none of these guys are truly motivated in the sense that they have to sell. For the vast majority of them, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So when it comes to pricing, you have a better – go ahead.
2: Okay, well, the the people that puff up the most are the ones that need to sell the most. So what I mean is that the ones that think their homes are worth so much money – And they want this, they want that. I don't need to sell, you know, I've got five houses. Those are the ones that are choking, usually. And you have to just lay into them and in the nicest way possible, in the most eloquent, classy way, say, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, with all due respect, respectfully, you know, this, this is not a realistic number that you can get. The marble that you have in your home is from 1988. It's not 2015. People don't want green and pink marble. You know, you have to be very honest and cute and nice about it. But um, I always say to people, you can never underprice an apartment or a house because the market will bid it right up. So if, it, if they think it's worth 3.5, and I really think it's more like 2.9, and I'm wrong, and it's worth 3.2, and we price it at 2 9 you'll get that because you'll have five people bidding at the same time. And you can take the higher you know, contract. Or you can raise the price if you find that people are coming in too high, too, uh, you know, too close to your ask. So I always say you can never underprice the property. You can always overprice it. And, the, and it's death to overprice a listing because it gets stale, and then you know, no one wants to look at it.
1: A lot of agents think, uh, especially when it comes to condos, that the cost per square footage is the most important thing. But that's only partially true. What are the other factors that go into
2: putting the correct price on, on a unit? Yeah, what What about the outdoor space? What about the exposure, the view? You know, you can't just go by by square footage. There's so many more factors. Uh, view In Miami, the biggest factor, in my opinion, is a view blockage. Um, on South Beach, it's very hard to get a really... Open direct ocean view without some building to the side or to the left or a hotel So it, it's um, that's a huge factor and that can definitely affect your price per square foot uh, As can the size of the terrace is one terrace bigger than the other uh, is one, you know Is it a flow through? Um, or just one exposure there's so many different different elements to pricing that you cannot go price per square foot the only way you do that really is when you're in a building and you're going maybe from like you know line to line and they're both equal in their own ways and one has this price per square foot the other has that so uh it's very specific
1: that has to be a big challenge dealing with uneducated buyers in that particular in your particular market because uh a lot of people are going to just go try to go off square a cost per square foot so how do you i mean is it does it ultimately come down to this being a luxury purchase for a lot of your buyers and it's just a personal preference thing. Is that the bottom line?
2: It is, but you have to prove that value. And you can't say to people, what you, what you don't want to say to a buyer is, you can't look at it like that. Oh, my God, that is the worst thing to say that everyone says, to buyers. <laughs> don't ever tell a buyer they can't do anything. <laughs> they will, I, if that was me, I'd be like, I can do whatever I want, and I will, and buy." thank you. You know. Yeah. So so you have to say things to the – you have to be so sensitive. I'm telling you, people get very offended. It's an emotional process to buy and to sell. So whoever you're dealing with better be on your side. They better make you feel important all the time and make, and, and make you not think that you're nuts.
1: Well, I mean, Chris, In the you way is possible. possible. What, what you're describing is the fact that you've become very ego-aware, it seems, and you're very sensitive mm-hmm. to their egos, and you're not allowing your ego to basically go and go into battle with their ego. It, and I'm sure you I deal know. with huge egos all the time, but just listening to you today, you seem to be uh, – either you've studied uh, ego, you've just basically come to figure out how it can railroad your success. Uh, when dealing with other agents who aren't used to dealing with folks in this price range, and they have, and this is a their one big deal is the you know are the other side of the transaction with you. How do you manage the other agents, especially if they don't have your experience level? How do you make it so everyone's happy?
2: Um, you know, sometimes I say to the agent, respectfully, so and so, let me help you get this deal. Let let me help this process happen quicker. Why don't you, I mean, this is going to sound bad, but sometimes you have to do it when you just know that there's no hope with this agent. You know, let me, let me, let me talk to your seller. (laughs) Don't you want to make that $100,000 commission? Yes, Chris, I do. Okay, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to talk to your seller. I'm going to talk to my buyer. I'm going to get the deal done. Just let me do it. Is that okay? And usually they're like, okay, (laughs) you know, Um, sometimes you have to step in and take over um and not railroad but just literally take over the deal to get it done how do, do you that do that all the time sometimes
1: go ahead how do you how do you do that and balance the other agent's ego though if they're worried about basically looking bad in the eyes of their sellers how, how are you walking that line because by the way i have a lot of folks that we have coaching clients and you know all the major markets across the country all the high-end markets and that's what they all do right you have to take the transaction over but sometimes the person on the other side of the deal—not the actual seller or the actual buyer—they'd be more than willing to deal with you directly. But their agent right. is so sensitive to looking bad. So, can you share with the listeners yeah. some strategies that you might have for uh, for handling that? Yes. Um,
2: well, all okay. So, if if there if you don't go in a railroad like I just described, uh, the best way to do it is to do it on a conference call. Just say, "Listen, can mm-hmm. we all talk together?" And then let the agent lead the call and and just say you know Chris has this uh, Chris this or Chris that or or you know we have I could I could just give her the pointers and walk her through it or him through it um, if they really want if they just don't want me having contact with their client and I understand that and it's usually not typical unfortunately for me I'm very um, uh, I don't want to say the word controlling but I'm, I'm very um, you know, I like to know what's going on at all times. So if I see that there's like a weak link, I, I try to fix that as quickly as possible. So I, I would just say, you know, I you could coach the agent, you know, and be and just say, listen, this is how we're going to get it done. Call your seller, tell him this. Uh, maybe you want to get me on the phone in case I can add in something to to, to add to that. Um, but but that's really, I think the only that's the nicest way you could do it.
1: Well, so it, it all comes back down to that.
2: Well, the other agent respects you. The other agent knows,
1: certainly knows that you're successful. The other agent has to feel like you're not gonna make them look bad in front of everybody else. Yeah. And when you have a reputation right. as stellar as yours is, Chris, that's probably fairly easy to pull off, but listeners, I loved his idea about doing a conference call. Some of you guys struggle with your deals because the other agent, let's be honest, is a little hackish. So in those particular cases, you do have to placate their ego. You do have to make it super clear that you're not going to make them look bad. And even on the conference call, you might even want to go overboard with placating your ego, and then you can get a deal together. That's really the professional's way of doing things. And or you know what?
2: I just thought of something I did once. I said, you know what? So if, the, if I'm on or in a meeting with the client, listen to the buyer let's call the other agent, uh, Mark. Okay. So listen, Mr. Seller, Mr. Buyer, Mark, I'm only, I'm only, uh, you know, how could you say it? I respect Mark so much as an agent. You know, we do a lot of deals together. And I just want you, I want him to get this deal because I like him. You know, something to that effect. <laughs> that's great. Yes. No, you know, I get your we, point. A, that's, that's the whole thing. It goes, yeah. our relationship goes back. Yeah, something like that. And then that makes Mark look yeah. great. Like Chris is going that extra mile from Mark because of their relationship. And therefore, that's how this seller is even in the deal, maybe. Something to that effect, I think, would be would be really the best way to do it cuz honestly yeah, li- viewer listeners don't railroad people it karma's a bitch don't be don't be bad <laughs> you know don't be don't be a railroader I, I am a railroader, but I do it and people don't know it. So it's different. But don't do, don't be obvious about it. <laughs> well,
1: you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the word manipulation isn't a bad word. <laughs> right? Right. So yeah. if ultimately you're doing a little bit of high-level manipulation that's causing uh, people's egos not to feel bruised and helping a transaction happen, helping people accomplish their goals, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, if you're honest, wrap-
2: yeah, if you're honest and, and, and forthright and not shady, then, then you're then you're good whatever you know absolutely that's that's a really big part of it
1: so as we wrap up today's show i always like to ask the question why you what makes you so successful i mean Good God, man. You've been successful in New York. You you basically took, probably without even realizing how big of a risk it was at the time, a huge risk moving to Miami at probably one of the worst times that you could have possibly chosen. And yet, despite that, you've now become one of the top agents, not just Chris and certainly Miami, but you've become one of the top agents in the world. So why you? What makes you so special in a a marketplace that's so competitive and so wrought with uh, challenges?
2: right because i i keep it real i'm uh you know very well mannered with people i also listen to my clients i give them amazing service i also make my clients feel important and quite frankly that is one of the most important things is making other people feel important and they just sort of like melt in your hands in a way because you you just make them feel like you're giving them Making your even if you have fifty listings, which sometimes I've had, make every client that you have feel like they're your only client. And if you can manage that and do that, um, and give that kind of service and juggle it, you'll do incredibly well.
1: Listeners, and I you, hope you are to pick- look
2: good too. You have to look good. You have to not look like a schlump. Well, you know, Chris, together. I didn't
1: have it as a, I didn't have that as a question for you, but th- dude, that is such a critical point. Um, and you know, Julie and I speak to agents all over the country, and it is—it is so. I don't even want to use the word funny, although it is funny. It's sad. You walk—you've done this too, I know. You, especially in Miami, you know, you walk into a room of agents, and you can tell who the—you know—100 agents. You can tell who the agents are that are doing all the business because they look professional. Why is it yeah. that some agents resist looking
2: the part? Um, I'm very passionate about this topic because, you know, I, I see agents, and, and I don't mean to be snooty, but I see people like buy, you know, they're in a new outfit every day, but they're all like not nice. They're They're like kind of low end. Do yourself a favor, you know, go buy one nice pair of shoes that are current instead of five pairs of sort of cheapy shoes. Buy one nice suit, beautiful tailored suit, and you can change it up with shirts from Zara. Or from H and M, no one would know if they're Zara or H and M. It's the suit, the way it fits. That the way a suit fits on a guy is paramount, paramount. Because when you when you sort of you know fit into your clothes and feel confident in your clothes, you exude that. An ill-fitting totally suit. Exclu- a guy yeah. in an ill-fitting suit's not going to not going to exude confidence. He's going to exude schlump.
1: Well, you know the, the interesting thing is even if somebody's not educated in what you're talking about, right? So even if, let's say, for example, a potential seller or a buyer doesn't know, you know, um, a high-end suit, a Brioni suit, or a custom-made Brioni suit, even better, from say something they got at Men's Warehouse, they can tell by how it looks. And yes, it is a subconscious little breadcrumb that you know the guy who looks really good or the gal who looks really good, they must have their act together. It, it's so it is interesting. Because in this business, Chris, we generally speaking our business is done in person, it's done at coffee shops, it's done online, it's done on the phone. Right. It's not it's not done in offices. We don't so how you look, how you present, and yes, even what you drive, it really, really does matter. And some people will say, Well, I just sell farms. Well you sure as hell better have some nice fifteen hundred dollar cowboy boots and a nice hat and a nice pickup, <laughs> <Exactly>. pickup truck. <laughs>
2: yes, exactly. 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 And you know what, I'm sorry, but it you're living in the in the what the, the dark side if you don't watch TV and see. I mean, all the shows on HGTV, Bravo, about real estate people. I mean, look at how they dress and how they're watch and learn. You know, sort of that's that's the thing. I mean, look at magazines of of the way that what's current right now. I mean, you, you have to be in the twilight zone not to know what what looks good these days.
1: Or there's a subcon or there's a Doesn't subconscious take- thing going. Or there's a subconscious thing going on that you are intentionally not looking uh, professional because you're not comfortable with uh what might come as a result maybe you're intentionally railroading yourself there there could be all kinds of things because this should be obvious to everyone Chris's point so Chris listen I really really appreciate you being on the on the show today um I've enjoyed talking with you now. i I'd love to have you on again you're obviously you obviously have a lot of great stories um and Keep sure. doing a great job on that. Keep doing a great job on that show. You really do uh, shine as a professional. How you carry yourself. Uh, I know it's you know. I'm, you. You're not you're, you're you're contracted, so you can't talk at church. But I realize a lot of it's staged and all the rest of it. But the but the it's still so obvious that you have a great no, of experience. it's
2: not staged, people. It's not staged. This is I'm telling you, everything you see, as far as I'm concerned, is me doing what Chris does. So. Don't think for a second that I'm an actor or anything like that, because thats, that's it.
1: Oh no, we know you you're not an
2: actor. We've seen you on TV.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh my God. So, Chris, All right. Well, that Chris, was so th- much fun. Thank you, guys.
1: Thanks a ton. You have a great. And we're gonna. By the way, we're gonna try to get this show uh, featured on Inman News. Featured, uh, features. And so when that happens, we'll send you a link, Chris. And listeners, um, watch okay. him uh, on uh, the Bravo TV show. Uh, million dollar listing Miami.
2: Watch me also also on Fox Business, Bloomberg TV. Um, I also am going to be uh, having a recurring show with Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business News uh, twice a month, which is huge, and that is a worldwide distribution. So that's something also to listen to because it's really educational about the markets around the world. Fantastic.
1: Chris, I really appreciate your time today. Have a great day. Safe travels, my friend.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.